Amen. Did you see the light today? The light was shining in the soul of the Gospel Ensemble. And I see the light today. When I look out, I see the light shining in your soul. Can't be hid. It just kind of leaks out. Y'all look great. Fabulous. I hear there's a music weekend going on in New Orleans, but I tell you what, they have nothing in New Orleans on our Gospel Ensemble rocking out. We have so much fun here. Yesterday for the 4th of July, we had the drumming circle. We had some new folks there, and Denise, who leads the group, was kind of introducing everybody, and she introduced me, and she said, he's the one that sometimes does solos. I didn't know I was doing solos. <laughs> so the drumming circle accepts everybody. Whatever your rhythm might or might not be, it's a lot of fun. It's the first Saturday of every month, uh, the drumming circle, and yesterday we had hot dogs and sausages and just had a great time. Always something wonderful going on. Okay, moment of truth. I'm not good enough. No matter how hard I work, there's always more stuff on my list. No matter how hard I pray going into a conversation that's kind of difficult, I usually figure out some way to mess it up. <laughs> no matter what I do, when I look in the mirror in the morning, I can tell that I'm not good enough. It seems like every night a new wrinkle grows. And it seems like every morning there's new hairs growing out of my ear. I'm not good enough. Did I hear an amen? <laughs> Someone want to second that? <laughs> That's the truth. And I have some more truth. You're not good enough. You're just not good enough. And in fact, if... Uh, if you watch television, it'll reinforce that. You don't drive a good enough car. You don't look good enough driving the car that you already have. You don't smell good enough. To be adequate, you need to buy the brand of deodorant they're telling you to buy. We're just not good enough. We're inadequate. We're incredibly imperfect. Now, y'all were smiling just a moment ago. What's going on now? Y'all are looking depressed. <laughs> I know this is a risky thing to talk about because most of us have grown up in backgrounds where it was reinforced again and again that we weren't good enough. We've been taught that you need to think a certain way and be a certain way and love a certain person and get married in a certain way to be good enough. And very few of us have lived up to those kind of standards. And I know this is one place where you hope to come and hear how worthy you are and how good you are because you've heard all that other stuff everywhere else. So I know you want to come to church to get lifted up and inspired and, and told how wonderful you are. And I could do that. We'd all nod our heads, we'd all praise Jesus, we'd raise our hands and sing and dance. But the reality is that most of us would leave this place and get behind the wheel of our car and at some point, probably in the next few minutes, feel inadequate. Because that's the reality. There is so much pressure to be and to succeed that no matter how much we try to pump ourselves up and jazz ourselves up, bottom line, we come to a moment pretty much every day where we don't quite feel adequate. Maybe it's the look we get from the boss. Maybe it's the phone conversation that doesn't go well. 
Maybe it's the email that comes. Whatever it is, we find ourselves feeling less than good enough. Even when we do our best to impress those around us, it seems that the impression only goes so far. How many of you thought you were doing the exact thing your partner wanted you to do? You, you really tried to be the mind reader. And you planned that wonderful dinner. And you put that beautiful tablecloth and you even ironed the sucker. <laughs> you went and got some new candles and you made sure they were unscented. You did everything right. Thought you would impress your partner with a brand new recipe. And they walk in the door, and you think you're going to surprise them. And the first thing they say is, who's coming for dinner? Your parents coming? You mean you did this for me? I really just want to go out. I'm really not up for this. Why don't we just uh, take all this over and eat while watching television? No matter how hard we try, it seems we can never measure up. I'm not good enough, you're not good enough, we're not good enough. Let's celebrate, let's say that together. I'm not good enough, you're not good enough, we're not good enough. Okay, you all didn't really get into that. Let's try it one more time. <laughs> On the count of three. I'm not good enough, you're not good enough, we're not good enough. All right, now that we've celebrated that. <laughs> our scripture today, in one sense, affirms what we just said together. And on the other hand, it gives us a whole different kind of window. First of all, one thing that comes clear in today's scripture from 2 Corinthians is, indeed, we're not good enough. However, the other message that comes through is, we are good enough because God's good enough. And when we lean in to God, then we are good enough. And this whole sense of inadequacy, all this kind of stuff that we deal with every day, it's nothing new. In fact, the writer of our scripture was dealing with this very issue. The Apostle Paul did not feel he was good enough, and everyone else pretty well agreed, especially when he compared himself to others. Others were better speakers than him. Others were better organizers than him. Others were better connected than him. Others looked better than him. And yet, he took all this sense of not being good enough, and rather than trying to defend himself and trying to impress everybody, he actually leaned into the idea of not being good enough. And when he leaned into that idea, he discovered a deeper power. He discovered a deeper pattern. And I'd like us to look more closely at this scripture today where we see how Paul leans into not being good enough and then the freedom, the true independence that results from that. There are three things that happen when Paul goes with the idea of not being good enough. There's three things that happen when he admits his powerlessness. First of all, when Paul goes with not being enough, he discovers a deeper power that is enough. He discovers a deeper power that is in Christ. If you look at your scripture, first of all, you'll see this whole interplay of power. In verse 8, Paul makes a statement that has resonated through the centuries. He says, power is perfected in weakness. 
And then he goes on in that same verse to talk about how the power of Christ dwells in him. The word that's used in the Greek is a word that means setting up camp. It means that this power of Christ has made a dwelling place in him. It's not a place that he goes. It's a place that's in him that he carries with him every moment. It's the power that goes everywhere he goes. And then there in verse 10, he says, When I am powerless, that's when I am strong. He says, when I've had enough of me, when I've had enough of my to-do list, when I've had enough of trying to impress everybody, when I've had enough, God is enough. When I'm out of power, I discover a deeper power. He hears God saying to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Enough. William Loder says it this way. The kind of power which Paul has experienced in Christ sustains him in his vulnerability and means he doesn't have to pretend to himself or others about his worth. He no longer has to try to impress. He can be who he really is. And know that at the very core of that, there is a deeper truth. And it's the truth of Christ living in him. Now, the truth is, Paul had some powerful stuff that he could have relied on. One of the accusations against him was he didn't have good credentials. In that day and age, one of the things people looked for was a person's spiritual experiences. Paul could have gone into that. He could have actually talked about the experience he had. The first part of that scripture you see there, the first seven verses, he's describing this person who has this powerful spiritual experience, how they go to the third heaven and they hear things that they can't even speak because they are so incredible and so powerful. Paul was actually talking about himself, but he went ahead and spoke in the third person so that the power would not be about him, but about Christ. In fact... Paul is so convinced about the power of leaning into Christ's power that he actually points out one of his weaknesses. It's not like the list was already long enough. <laughs> they already knew he was a bad writer and a bad speaker and he couldn't connect with people and he didn't look good. But to add to all of that, he describes a thorn in his life. He actually talks about a flaw. Now through the years, people have speculated, what is this thorn that... He asked God to remove three times that God didn't remove. The reason it's not mentioned is because all of Paul's readers knew what it was. It was a flaw that was so obvious that everybody knew about it. So he didn't mention it. But here he talks about how he went to the very core of the flaw and saw a new window into real power. The word that's used there when he talks about begging God to remove the flaw, is a word that is the strongest military word related to a command. It was the strongest word possible. He begged God to remove the flaw. But when it didn't happen, he thought, maybe I should look deeper at this. Maybe this has something to teach me, something to tell me. 
Maybe when I get to the end of the worst part of myself as I define it, I will discover the best part of God. The God who will meet me at that place. The God who will meet me at the place that I try to hide. The God who will meet me at the place that I'm ashamed of. The God who will meet me at the place that I've tried a dozen times to change it could never change. Maybe when I get to the very end, that's where God's grace begins. Maybe that's where love is. Paul went there. He looked at the flaw and opened it to God and said, okay, you won't take it away, so I'll meet you there, and you'll meet me there. So when Paul went with this idea of not being enough, first of all, he discovered a deeper power in Christ. And then secondly, when he went there, he discovered sufficient grace in God. You know, grace is not really grace until we need it. Grace is not really grace until we access it. Grace is not really grace until it meets us at that place where we truly need it. Many of us have been there where we've come to the end of our own lives and our own striving and ourselves. We've disappointed others and ourselves once again. And there we see grace. Grace that comes at just the right time. It's a gift. And boy, grace is one of those things that we have tried to define and describe in so many ways. And uh, it's one of those words that's kind of like love. Uh, you can describe and describe and describe and never come to the end of the description. And it's true for grace, but here's just a little bit of this description of what grace is. Grace is a large word. It includes unmerited favor, forgiveness, second chances, surprises, reframings, breakthroughs, whole paradigm shifts. Grace is a word that reaffirms the gift character of all that we are and have. It is an organizing force in every life story. Grace not all, only follows the judgment of God, it precedes it. Grace comes to us all before birth and sees us through. Grace is the context in which creation lives and moves and has its being. We dwell in it. We float on it. We are saved by it again and again, and so we can afford to risk and venture and fail and fall because we fall into the arms of a gracious God who allows us to try again. Grace makes risk possible. Grace invites us to keep on trying. Grace reframes everything. Back to that romantic dinner when you tried to impress your partner and they walked in and just wanted to watch TV and eat frozen food or something. This is how grace works in that same situation. You plan, you think, you do your best, you light the candles. It's all there. And your beloved comes in and sees this feast and says, for me? For me? Wow. I'll never forget this moment. You really love me this much. And you find yourself sitting at table and reaching across and seeing 
that soul in your beloved's eye and feeling the warmth of their hand and knowing that everything you've prayed and thought and believed in is coming true at that moment. And you find yourself falling in love again, not only with your beloved, but also with God and also with the moment, with serendipity, grace. Grace walks into the room and everything changes. So when Paul leaned into not being enough, he discovered this power in Christ. He discovered this magnificent, abounding, astounding grace of God. And the third thing Paul discovered was a whole new way of seeing and being. He could no longer look at his failure in the same way. It was just an opening to a new beginning. He could no longer see the people around him as his critics and adversaries. They were just people needing love and prayer and that grace he was leaning into. He began to look around and realize that indeed there was enough and enough was everywhere. Just see it. His eyes were turned from suffering to gratitude. Everything became a window into the goodness and fullness of God. Oh, Paul didn't learn this on his own. He learned from the greatest teacher. He learned from Jesus, who had an amazing way of seeing and teaching. If you look at your gospel, you'll see that when Jesus calls the 12 together, he knows they're not enough on their own, but he also says, you are enough. But he sends them out in pairs so they'll feel the strength of love and support and community. And then Jesus gives them some rather frightening instructions. He tells them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. Don't even take a spare set of clothes. Just go. And go with new eyes. Go with a new sense of openness. And just open your heart and hands and see what comes. See what you experience and what you receive. It's all there if only you see it. And that becomes a form of healing. And that becomes our call. We realize that when we finally admit we're not enough, but in Christ's power there is enough, and in God's grace there is sufficiency, we find ourselves seeing and being in a new way. We see with eyes of grace. And like Paul, that which at one time we thought a curse becomes a blessing. Eyes touched by grace look personally on me and they look personally on each one of us, not to see what is missing, nor do they look to see what, with great effort and much improvement, we might become. They simply look and they love. Looking and loving, the eyes touched by grace are not glazed over with sentiment. Seeing deeply, they awaken in us a response that lets us grow stronger within, more open to others, more mature in our love. Eyes touched by grace are eyes that look outward on the world's harshest pain and in the process, teach our eyes to do the same. And eyes touched by grace tutor us that we may respond to the pain even as the possessors of those eyes with great sensitivity already have done and continue to do. Eyes touched by grace possess the wisdom to pause before the most common scenes of loveliness 
to trace the gentle contours of a laugh or of another's hand or of the fresh breeze that marks the season's change. Eyes touched by grace belong to those who have heard the grace giver say, behold, the reign of God is in your midst. And then have dared to pray, let us see, let us see. Mm. The very power and presence of Christ is right here in our midst today. Do you see it? Ask the Spirit to help you and us to see with the eyes of grace. For when we see with the eyes of grace, it's like seeing for the very first time. And what do we see? When we really look, when we look deep, we see that we're enough. It all gets reframed. I'm enough. You're enough. We're enough. Because we're seeing with the eyes of grace. Oh, sweet grace. Sufficient grace. Amazing grace. Abundant grace. Grace the gift. Grace of life. Grace of hope. Grace that is our power and strength. Oh, sweet grace. How great a debt. Daily I am drawn anew. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to you. Prone to wander, I can feel it from the love I've known. But, oh God, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your very own. Sufficient grace. It is enough. <laughs>